Hi, this is Dr. Jonathan Vorce's daughter, Nikki, from Lakewood Family Church. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, helps you, and uplifts you. We're here to win the lost, to train disciples, and to make Jesus famous. Hope you enjoy the message today. Amen. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 12, we're still on the series. This is actually message number 18 through the book of Matthew on the series, The Commands of Jesus. And today we're talking out of Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. Jesus says, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walks through dry places, seeking rest and finds none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he's come, he finds it empty, swept and garnished. Then goeth he, taketh with him himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there in the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be under this wicked generation. So what we want to talk about today is we want to talk about what to do when we feel empty, what to do when, when we give our life to Christ and he sweeps out, what to do when there's emptiness there. So we want to talk about that. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the anointing to teach your word. Pray that you would touch me to be able to effectively communicate, touch the ears of the hearers to hear their hearts to receive and to understand. We rely so heavily upon the Holy Spirit to help us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Y'all ready to word up? Amen. In the text today, Jesus described the spiritual condition of his day. Verses 38 and 39, he called it an evil and adulterous generation. Uh, Verses 41 through 42, he talked about how that they would be condemned by the Ninevites and the Queen of Sheba on the day of judgment. And then in verse number 45, he referred to them as this wicked generation. Before he called it this wicked generation, he talked about when, un, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man and, and that leaves it an empty place, a void. Now, what I feel like that we need to talk about today, what I feel like the Lord wants us to talk about today, is what do we do right after we give our life to Jesus? What do we do right after we give our life to Jesus? Now, let me just kind of lay the foundation of this like this. How many of you have ever lived in a small home and the Lord blessed you with a larger home and you moved into that larger home and you said, wow, there's all kinds of space here only to try to make your way through the clutter three years later. (laughs) And every husband said, amen. I, I get it. I understand. Well, this is what happens when you just allow the emptiness to fill up on its own. So your house will get cluttered if you don't keep cleaning it out. Your house will get cluttered if you don't purposely put furniture there that will meet the needs of the people in that room or whatever. And so when you move into a larger home, in order to stop the clutter, you have to resource that home so you can live in that home in a way where it won't be cluttered. Same with our spirit. When Jesus comes into our heart and into our life, the Bible said to lay aside every weight and sin 
that so easily besets us and run with patience the race that God has set before us. And so same thing happens in our spirit. When we give our heart to Jesus, he takes away the sin. He forgives us, remembers that sin against us no more. As we continue to grow in the Lord, then, then things that are not even sinful, but things that are weights, they get taken off of us. If we don't replace the empty space with something, it'll fill up with clutter. You got that? Are you getting that? And so what we want to do is we want to talk today about the danger of allowing our lives to be empty and what we can do about filling it. What we can do about filling that life. So Jesus, um, using the example of the demon-possessed man here, warned us that it's not enough to go through a time of initial repentance and the removal of sin. He, he warned us of that, and then he explained to us through so many words and through example that unless reformation continues and something positive is implemented, that the end may just possibly end up being worse than the beginning. And so I think it's important for us to start taking a stewardship responsibility for discipleship. The commandment of Jesus in the Great Commission is a three-part commission. He said to go and preach. The church does that well. He said to go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the church does that well. But there's a third part to the Great Commission that the church is pretty much unaware of today. I'm talking about the church corporately as a whole. The third part of the Great Commission is teaching them to observe the things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's discipleship. So the third part of the Great Commission is discipleship. That's the purpose of these commands of Jesus. That's the purpose of this series is because we need Christ to reform in us with the emptiness that sin left. The emptiness that the desires of the flesh left needs to be filled back up with the power of God, with the word of God, with the presence of God, with the glory of God. And that only happens through discipleship. That's why it's important to come to church. That's why it's important to stay in the Word. That's why it's so important to do those things. And so uh, Jesus uh, addressed this in His day. He talked about people that had come and they had repented. And they, had, they had heard the message of repentance through John the Baptist. But then they forsook the crucifixion. The same people, a lot of the same people that repented when John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepared the way of the Lord, the one that said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That same message of repentance when he would cry out, those same people three and a half years ago, a lot of them were the same ones in the streets of Jerusalem crying, Crucify Him. Crucify Him. And so we could say of them that their last state truly was worse than the first. So now let's talk a little bit about the, the danger of being empty. When we come to Christ, the Bible teaches us that our house is cleansed. And we are expected by God to fill up our house. We're expected to fill up our house. If, if, uh, if we allow things to reside there that doesn't belong there, then they will attract other things that does not belong there. Your flesh, now listen to me. Now I'm a pastor, I'm not an evangelist, you guys know that. If you don't know it by now, I don't know what to tell you. 
but you know it. Your flesh de desires something different than what your spirit needs. Are you hearing me? Your flesh desires something different than what your spirit needs. That's why it's important every single day to be crucified with Christ. That's why the apostle said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Every single day, we need to go through a spiritual exercise where we lay down the wants and the desires of our flesh and we pick up the desire of God for our spirit. The only way that we can do that is by staying in the Word. The only way we can do that is by having good Christian fellowship instead of hellowship. No backbiting, no gossiping, no running people down. Fellowship, fellowship around the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us in order for our heart to be cleansed that our conscience, the Bible said when our heart is cleansed, Hebrews 9, 14, I believe it is, the Bible said that we are purged from dead works to serve the living God. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, a transformation takes place. It takes more than just a prayer. The Word of God says if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You can be saved. So, so this thing that's taken over the church today, just say this prayer and repeat it after me and you'll be born again and you'll never have to worry about going to hell because you said, Lord Jesus, forgive me all my sins. I ask you to come into my heart in Jesus' name, amen. You can say that prayer all day long, but if you do not believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that Calvary accomplished it all, and that you are who God says you are, then you are not saved. Amen. So it takes more than confession. It takes confession and faith. It takes trusting God and believing God. So the Bible said when we give our lives to Jesus, that the blood of Jesus washes us and cleanses us. And God's Word tells us that He purges our life from dead works to serve the living God. So we're not just talking about Him washing away our sins. He takes away the dead works. You know, the stuff that doesn't produce anything unto life and godliness... You know, the things, that, the things in our life that is not conducive to Christianity, the things that we allow ourselves to be involved in that God's Word speaks against. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Galatians chapter 5. So He purges those things out of us. Those are dead works. Now, let me say this about dead works. Dead works will not, will not leave on their own. You know why? Because they're dead. Something that's dead has no life. And so it doesn't have the ability to leave or to move on its own. The blood of Jesus purges us from dead works and then we embrace the life of God. So we're trading death for life. Oh, hallelujah. Woo, boy, this is going to get good this morning. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 6, the Bible, tells, the Bible teaches us that we're supposed to fill up our house. We're supposed to fill up our hearts. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6 says that God has given His Spirit to dwell in us. 
The reason for the Holy Spirit to come was so that He could dwell in us, that it could be a house for God, the dwelling place of God, the place where God actually enthrones Himself. The Bible says in Galatians chapter, or Ephesians chapter 3 and 17 that Jesus Christ Himself dwells in our hearts through faith. So God gives us His Spirit so that He can dwell in us and that Spirit creates an atmosphere where Jesus comes and sets Himself up inside of our life and He lives through us and what does that do? It creates a throne room for God to dwell in. Your life, my life, our lives is God's earthly throne room. You're God's ark. You're the ark of the covenant. You are the place where God's presence dwells, where God's power flows through. You are the place. If God needs to get something into the earth, He's going to get it through the hands of His servants. He's going to get it through His church. So God gives us His Spirit to dwell in our hearts. Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. And then in Colossians 3, 16 through 17, the Bible said that God's peace and God's grace fills our hearts. Now I want you to listen to me real close. You ready? You want to follow along with this. Ready? All right. What is grace? Grace is God's ability to do in you and for you what you cannot do in yourself or for yourself. That's what grace is. All right? Grace and peace. Grace and peace fill our hearts. What is peace? Peace is nothing missing and nothing broken. So many times we hear the terms grace and peace together. You know why? Because they work together. They work together. If you have God's ability, then you can live with nothing missing and nothing broken. So if you have grace, then the result of God's grace in your life, because of the blood of Jesus and because of the sacrifice of Calvary, not talking about a license to sin, I'm talking about real grace. The grace of God makes it possible for us to live in peace where nothing is missing and nothing is broken in our life. So because of God's grace, I live in a place where I receive everything that Calvary paid for and that, the result of that, is peace. Now, Colossians 3, 16 through 17 said that God's peace and God's grace fills our heart. So if I have God's ability filling me up, if I've got the Spirit of God filling me up, if I've got Christ dwelling inside of me, and I have the ability of my Heavenly Father inside of me, then I can live in a place where everything I need I have access to because of... That's why the Bible says whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Your life is a simulation of the throne room of God in heaven. In that throne room, there is no sickness. In that throne room, there is no sorrow. In that throne room, there is no lack. In that throne room, there is no pain. Somebody says, well, I'm living through that. Well, what about your spirit? What about, what about your spirit? Your spirit can thrive while your flesh is trying to falter. And I want to tell you something. You get everything right with your spirit, and it'll pull your flesh along. Hallelujah. So we're expected to fill our home with the presence of God. We're expected to fill our home with the Spirit of God. We're expected to fill our hearts with the peace of God and the grace of God. And then in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse number 10, the Bible said that God has written His law upon our hearts. How many of you know that when God etches something into your life, there's nothing that the devil can do to take it away? Amen. 
Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Yes. Well, I, 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 you know, I, I can't fail because, because God wrote victor over me. Hmm? Yeah, you got it? And some, some people say, well, how are you? Well, I'm blessed. Not because I feel like I'm blessed. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm blessed. But God said I'm blessed, so I'm blessed. Hallelujah. The word will work if you work the word, but you got to work it in order for it to work. So what happens when we don't fill the empty place? What happens if we're not filling our lives with the presence of God? What's happening if we don't fill our lives with the anointing that comes from on high? Well, if we don't fill ourselves up with good things, then evil things will return. You have a, you have a shepherding responsibility over your spiritual life to make sure that your spirit gets what it needs to help you live according to whatever pertains to life and godliness. I can stand up here on Sundays and I feed you a full plate every time. I try. That's, that's my objective. I want you to waddle out of here so full of the Word. <laughs> But you won't come on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. If you would, I'd preach to you those days too, but you can't because you have your jobs and you have your life and things like that. You have a shepherding responsibility. To keep. You see, you say, well, I just come on Sunday and that's enough. No, you leak. On Mondays, you leak. On Tuesdays, you leak some more. Three quarters of you aren't here on Wednesday night, so you're leaking on Wednesday. Sometimes we patch it up on Wednesday night, but you're leaking on Wednesday. We leak. We leak. And so that's why we need the... You have a shepherding responsibility over your spirit to be in the Word every single day. And here's my challenge to you. I gave it to the first service. About as many people in the first as this one. And so I gave it to them in the first service. I'm going to give it to you this. Here's my challenge to you this week. Give God just as much time as you give social media this week. Got quiet. <laughs> if we don't fill ourselves up with good things, then evil things are going to fill. And, and let me say something. Your spirit is always attracting whatever is in the atmosphere. Children are the products of the environment in which they were raised. Parents have the responsibility to create the environment for their children. So, your spirit absorbs whatever is around you. So, if there's no word around you, then it's going to absorb other things. If there's no worship around you, it's going to absorb other things. In Corinthians, the Corinthian church, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, they were rascals. I'm telling you, the Corinthian church, they, they were full of all kinds of different uh, people from all kinds of different cultures and whatnot. And the, but the Bible says in 1st Corinthians chapter 6, the apostle Paul writing to them, he says, And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified. And we shout and we praise God and we say, Thank you, Lord, that's us. But in 2nd Corinthians chapter 12, verse, verses 20 through 21, the apostle Paul is getting on to them because the same ones that were washed and were sanctified and were justified 
aside, were now engaging in sinful conduct again. You know what the problem was? They had let, they had let teachers come in, Judaizing teachers come in and they had come in with false doctrine and they were trying to teach them that in order to live as a Christian under the grace of God that they were going to have to go back and embrace the law of circumcision as pertained in the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul left Jerusalem and rushed back to the Corinthian church and he said, no, 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 no. By grace you are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's important for us, isn't it? It's important for you and it's important for me to stay the course. And the only way that I can stay the course is to keep the empty places filled up. The false teachers that were mentioned by Peter in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, the Bible said that they were bought by the Lord and that they escaped the pollution of the world through Jesus. But in verse number 20, the Bible said that they became entangled again in the word in, in the world. And then in verses 20 through 22, he said the latter end of them was worse than the beginning. So here's what, here's, here, here's I got to get this across to you. So you gave your life to Jesus 30 years ago. What about today? Some people gave their life to Christ 30 years ago and someone that gave their Christ to, to the Lord, their life to Christ six months ago are older in God than someone that gave their life to the Lord 30 years ago. Yeah. What about today? Just because you gave your life to Jesus 30 years ago doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Just because you gave your life to Christ 30 years ago doesn't mean your life is right with God. You, we've got, listen, you don't have to pay for your salvation. You don't. You don't have to pay for your salvation. Jesus paid for your salvation. But if you're going to live for God successfully, it's going to cost you everything. Amen. So giving my life to Christ it has already been paid for. But living for Christ is going to cost me everything. I've got to empty myself. I've got to allow, allow that to be emptied out. How are we doing, Dr. John? This is good stuff, isn't it? <laughs> oh, man. Hallelujah. So, uh, so how, how can things become worse than the first? Now, here's what the Word of God tells us. The Bible tells us that our hearts can become hardened. That's what it said. Uh, you know, we, we get so... Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 10. You know, I was born in old-time Pentecost. I mean, they shouted, they danced, they screamed, they hollered, they, they groaned, they bucked, they grunted. They ran the backs of the pews. Old-time Pentecost, holiness. We weren't just Pentecost, we were holiness. Men didn't, men didn't uh, I was going to say men didn't wear makeup and jewelry. Well, I, need, I guess I can say that today, right? Men didn't wear makeup and jewelry. Men's hair didn't touch their ears, didn't touch their collar. They didn't wear shorts. They didn't, I mean, and women, I mean, they were so abused and used and abused and jerked around. And I asked them one day, I said, how come we always pick on the women? And that, and that pastor would never let me preach again. <laughs> but anyways, I, I, I grew up in that. I grew up in that. 
And, and what I found out as I got older, I, I, you know, I've served the Lord for all of my life, and, and what I found out is I've seen the church go through so many stages and so, through so many changes and all of these kinds of things. I mean, you had the, you had the old-time Pentecost move of God, and then you had that, that charismatic movement getting started. Then you had the Word movement. Then you had the prosperity movement. Then you had the grace movement. Then you had, you know, yada, yada, yada. Now you got the ark movement and the, all of these kinds of things. You got all these different kinds of movement and things like that. It's important for us to, to stay centered. It's important for us to stay in the Word of God. You know, we, we, we've, gotta, we've got to take, we've got to understand that the, the background noise that, around, that is around us is not as important as the foundation that is under us. And God's Word is our foundation. And we've got to stand upon God's Word. Now, now, having grown up in Pentecost and having grown up in the move of God, I mean, I'm not lying when I say this. I'm not lying. I've seen the dead raised. I've seen people come out of wheelchairs. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen God straighten out crooked limbs. I've seen the miracles. I've experienced God using me to perform miracles like that back in the old evangelistic days. I've experienced that. I know what that's like. But I've also seen the power of God moving on Sunday and watching the same people that shout and bucked and grunted on Monday cussing a blue streak the next day. And it makes me wonder what, it made me wonder back then, and I understand it now, but it made me wonder back then, what in the world's going on? Well, I'll tell you what, you can be around it so much that your heart gets hardened to the move of God. See, what happens is we, we create a model for God to move in. Oh, Jesus, I'm going to get in trouble, I can tell I am. We create a model for God to move in. We come to church. We'll start with a song right after the 10-minute countdown. Hit zero. We'll start with the song. Then someone's going to come up and they're going to welcome us. Then we're going to have two or three more songs. We may pray for people. We may not. They'll receive an offering. We might have a special. We might not. But I'll guarantee you we'll be done in an hour and 15 minutes. Some of us are too jacked up. It takes more than an hour and 15 minutes for God to work on us. You got it? And so our hearts become hardened. What happens is we get used to God doing something a certain way, and then when God gets ready to do something different, then we say, oh, that can't be God because it doesn't sound right and it doesn't feel right and all of that kind of stuff. And this is the way they did it 30 years ago. This is the way they did it. For I know how they did it 30, 40 years ago. I grew up in it. I know how it was. And I want to tell you something. It was an authentic move of God. God was moving. People's lives were being changed. And people's lives were being transformed by the supernatural power of God. But times are different today. God's not changed. His anointing's not changed. His power's not changed. None of that has changed. That's non-variable. None of that has changed. But God may move differently today than He did then. You know why? So we don't get hardened. How many of you know the scripture where the Bible says that men are supposed to live with their wives according to knowledge? That's what the word says. We're supposed to live with our wives according to knowledge. I didn't understand that until I'd been married about 30 years. And then I realized the reason is I got to keep studying her because right about the time I got her figured out or I think I got her figured out, she's going to change again. Well, the church changes. We change. So we can get hard. We don't need to be hard. 
All right, let's, let's move on here, all right? So <laughs> we can become so hardened through willful sin that we trample underfoot the Son of God. We don't want to do that. So, so how, how do we avoid that? So we're gonna, we fill our hearts with God. We fill our hearts with good. So how do we do this in principle? Well, first of all, 1 Peter 3.15, and I think we have it up here. 1 Peter 3.15 in the Amplified, it says, But in your hearts set Christ apart as holy and acknowledge Him as Lord. Always be ready to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope that is in you, but do it courteously and respectfully. So when the Bible says to set your hearts set apart as holy and acknowledge Him as Lord, that's talking about sanctification. Because the word sanctification means to set apart for a holy purpose. Jesus did not save you just because he needed something to do. Jesus didn't come to this earth and die just because he needed something to do. He was creating a kingdom of kings and priests in the kingdom of our God who would be set apart for a holy service for the purposes of God in the earth today. That's, that's why he did that. And so, so in principle, we sanctify God in our hearts. We allow God to set us apart. We allow God to set us aside. And we give him a special place inside of us, which is the ruler of our life. You live inside of us. You rule our life. And so as we do this, we become selective about what we allow coming into our mind. We set our mind, Colossians 3, we set our mind on things above and not on the things of this earth. What matters in heaven matters on the earth. We can't be so earthly-minded that we're no heavenly good. That's what's happening with churches that are trying to look more and more and more and more like the world to attract the world. If the world comes into a church that looks and acts and conducts themselves like the world, then how can they see the need? When the world comes in, how can they see the need for change? If they come to church, they say, well, they act like this where I work. They act like this on my street. Listen, the church should be a mark, should show a marked difference, and we should drive culture, not bend to culture. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. So we set our mind on things above. If it matters to God, it matters to me. And then, then the second thing, Colossians 3:16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know, when you're rich, that means you have a lot of money. If the Word of Christ is dwelling in you richly, that means you got a lot of the Word in you. So let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Somebody pokes you and Scripture ought to come out. Ooh. Follow the example of David in Psalms 101. Worship the Lord. Think upon things that are good, things that are honest, things that are just. The Bible said, Philippians 4, 8, if there be any virtue or power, if there be any praise, think on these things. Be selective about what you let your mind dwell on. You can choose it. The enemy will offer you offense. He'll take something that somebody said, he'll build upon that, and he'll hit repeat, 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 repeat. That's what he'll do. Hallelujah. What you need to do is say, no, what we're going to do, we're going to unplug that tape recorder. I know some of you don't know what a tape recorder is, but we're going to unplug that tape recorder. We're not going to use that tape recorder anymore. No, 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 no. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get the Word of God flowing inside of me, and when I hit the repeat button, it's going to be the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. Jesus defeated the enemy by saying, It is 
So that's in principle. We sanctify our, ourselves unto the Lord in our hearts, and we are selective about what we allow into our mind. Just about through here. And then in practice. In practice. How do I fill up the empty place? Because the Word of God tells us, He said, when the unclean spirit goes out of the man through a dry place, seeking rest, when he comes back, if he finds it still empty, swept and garnished, then he's going to come back with seven more. we got to have that house full when that enemy comes back. When the enemy comes in and knocks on the door and that door opens and he's hit with the presence of God, he needs to be repelled and say, no, I'm not welcome there anymore. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So in practice, we utilize every opportunity that we have to study the Word of God. We study the Word of God in worship. We study the Word of God at home. We study the Word of God with our friends and our family. We study the Word of God on the Internet. We study the Word of God when we're watching television. We study the Word of God. We participate in Bible study programs. We read our Bible every single day. Every single day we read our Bible. We make up our mind that my spirit can't live without my Bible. What does the Bible say in Psalms chapter 1? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. For his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. When I meditate day and night, I'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the sinner shall not stand in the congregation of the righteous. That's what the Word of God says. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, and the way of the ungodly shall perish. Amen. Stick in the Word. Stay in the Word. Get stuck in the Word. Hallelujah. Get muddy with the Word. Allow the Word of God to just be all around you. So that's the first thing. We utilize every opportunity to take in the Word of God. The second thing we do is we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs every single day and every single night. We sing those songs. The Bible said that the New Testament church gathered together every single day of the week. Somebody says, well, how did people give their lives to Christ daily. The Bible said the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Well, the reason was because they gathered together daily. And the Bible said they sang psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in their heart to the Lord. They testified to one another. They continued steadfastly in the, in the apostles' doctrine and in breaking of bread and in prayers. That's how the early church was strong. That's how it survived persecution. That's how it made it. They were so consumed with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were so consumed in experiencing the grace of God and enjoying the, the, the benefits of being baptized with the Holy Spirit that there was no room for the world. Some people say, well, I just don't know about it. Well, it'd be like today if I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're all here today, but tomorrow we're going to John and Irma's house. So everybody just go to John and Irma's house. She'll make brownies and everything. We'll go to John and Irma's house. 
and we'll gather together there for two or three hours and we'll just have a good time and we'll worship the Lord. And by the way, bring your unsaved friends and your unsaved co-workers and your unsaved family members and maybe they'll give their life to Christ. Then on Tuesday, what we're going to do is we're going to go over to Whitney and Roberta's house. We're just going to go over there, Whitney and Roberta's house. They may not want us there, which they would. They may not want us there, but we're going to go anyway. All right? Then we're going to go all the way down to Odessa Palm Harbor area, and we're going to go to Michael and, and Melissa's house. We're going to go down there, and she's going to make everybody empanadas, and everybody's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. We're going to enjoy it. We're going to, yeah, that's right. We're going to break empanadas in prayer. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And every single day of the week, we would go somewhere. That's what the New Testament church did. And that's why they were so strong. And that's why they were so powerful. You can't even get people to come to church over two Sundays in a month anymore. And we wonder why the church is anemic. And we wonder why the church isn't strong. And we wonder why. And people come to me and they say, I just don't know why I feel so weak. It's because you're never in church. I don't know why my kids won't serve the Lord. That's because on Wednesday you took them to ball practice and taught them that ball was more important. So they gathered together, they sang, they did hymns, they spiritual songs. We have to be filled with the Spirit. Then we've got to let our minds dwell on things that's worthy of praise and virtue, which means we have to be selective about what we let into the gates of our soul. What are you watching on television? Whatever you watch is what you're consuming. Oh, but it's such a good show. Does your spirit go... Because if your spirit goes, then your finger needs to go, hit that remote and turn that junk off. I don't care how good the show is, if it's messing up your spirit, it ain't worth it. And then the last thing, choose your friends carefully. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Your friends, the people that hang around you will either help you or hinder or hurt you. Choose your friends carefully. You can't have communion with light and darkness. You can't have communion with light and darkness. You don't walk into a room looking for a switch to turn on the darkness. You look for the switch to turn on the light, to drive out the darkness. When you're hanging around with people who are negatively impacting your spirit, then you need to pray for them. You don't need to be, you don't, you don't need to be rude to them. You don't mean, need to be disrespectful to them or anything like that. But you've got to be careful because what you sow is what you reap. So if you, you know, birds of a feather flock together. You, if, if, if you're a word person, you're going to attract word people. Hmm? If you're interested in the move of God, interested in revival, interested in what God's doing around the earth, those are the kind of people that you're going to attract. But if you're hanging around people that's always critical and finding fault and things like that, you're going to attract them too. You say, well, sometimes I just feel so alone. Well, most of the time, eagles don't flock. That's for the turkeys. Hmm? Most of the time, eagles don't flock. Sometimes you have to go it alone for a while. 
without mama understanding, without your family understanding, without your daddy understanding, without your brothers and sisters understanding, without those that were in your life before understanding. Sometimes when you first give your life to Jesus Christ, sometimes you have to unhook yourself from negative influences in your life. Well, they're my friends. Well, we'll find out if they're friend, your friends three to six months down the road if they keep trying to pull you away from God. If they keep trying to pull you away from God, they're not your friends. So the questions we ask ourselves are these. What is the condition of my heart today? What am I filling my heart up with? What am I allowing in my heart? You give your life to Jesus, He cleans you out, there's an empty place there. What are you going to fill that up with? As you continually live for the Lord, there are seasons in our lives where the Lord shows us things about ourselves that we didn't know before. And so we're required to lay those things down and repent. Repent means to have a change of heart, a change of mind to walk in a different direction. So we say, sorry, Lord, and we adjust our lives according to the word. That's repentance. So when you give your life to Christ, you got to ask yourself, what am I filling myself up with? There's an emptiness here, but I need to fill myself up with something. So what am I allowing my life to be filled up with? So what is the condition of my heart? What's the condition of my heart right now? What is the condition of my heart? Am I passionately serving God? Am I passionately living for the Lord? Second question, which probably should have been the first, is have I experienced the initial cleansing of my heart? In other words, have I really completely given my life to Jesus. I'm not talking about just allowing Him to be Savior, but letting Him be Lord. Letting Him be the Lord of your life. And then the third thing here is, am I allowing God to fill the empty places of my heart? And am I allowing Him to fill the empty places of my life? I don't ever want it to be said of you or I that the last state of that person was worse than the first. I want us to continue to grow. I want us to continue to accelerate in the Lord. Now, we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. If you've given your life to Jesus, you're cleansed. You're washed. You're set apart. What you going to do with that? Eight years evangelizing. And a lot of times I would go back to the same church, churches and see the same people walk in the aisles when I gave the invitation for salvation. I started asking the pastors, how come these people getting, get, keep getting saved year after year after year? What's going on around here? You know, and, and I did it in a respectful way, but I was doing some research. I wanted to know why they're not living for the Lord when the revival's over. You know why? Because they were taught that their salvation was attached to their feelings. My salvation is not attached to my feelings. I'm saved because Jesus died for me over 2,000 years ago 
And whether I feel like I'm saved or not, I'm saved. So thank God for Calvary and thank God for the blood. But what I was finding out in these churches was that there was a lot of evangelism, but there was no discipleship. So people were finding out how to get set free. They were finding out to be how, how to be born again. They were finding out how to be delivered and all of that kind of thing. But once they got saved and delivered and set free, then what? Well, here's what. Jesus didn't call us to make converts. He called us to make disciples. Discipleship is what's next. Becoming a fully devoted and developing follower of Jesus Christ. That's the definition of a disciple. That's why it's important to be in a teaching church. That's why it's important to be in a place where people can break down the word to you to help you grow in the Lord. So the question is, what is the condition of my heart? Am I growing in God? Am I rejoicing because I'm set free? That's great and that's wonderful. But now, am I growing? Am I growing in the Lord? Um, Have I given my life to Christ? What am I allowing God to fill the empty places of my life with? Those are great questions that we need to ask ourselves. So listen very closely. If you don't fill the empty place, the empty place will fill up with clutter. And then you'll be in trouble. Clutter eventually will kill you spiritually. Let's all stand. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those who helped to give to keep the gospel moving forward. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description or visit jvorce.org for more information. Please share, like, subscribe if you enjoyed our podcast. Take a screenshot and tag us at Lakewood Family Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.